Go ahead and have a seat. Well, good morning once again. Uh, my name is Brian. I'm the uh, lead ministry pastor, and uh, you know, I've been here about four months now, and the last time I had the opportunity and the privilege to share God's Word with you, uh, as I looked around the room, it was like, wow, it's a bunch of people I don't know. <laughs> and as I look around today, it's like, I have some new friends in the room, and so that's so really exciting, and I, I just want to say thank you, uh, first and foremost, for how you have uh, loved my family, how you have welcomed me and uh, my family into uh, this body here, into this community, and so I'm so thankful to be here, and I uh, really can't wait to share with you uh, from God's Word. Uh, you can open up to 1 John chapter 5. Uh, we're going to be talking about breakthrough love. Before we get fully started, uh, go ahead and raise your hand if you have a cat or a, are a lover of cats. Now I know who I need to apologize to after the service. So I have two problems with cats. Uh, the first problem is that I'm allergic. The second problem is that I don't like them. I know you're supposed to like, like and love all of God's creation. For me, cats are sort of like mosquitoes. Like I don't really understand why they exist. But I'm sure God had a purpose, and, um, but yeah, I'm allergic to, uh, I'm allergic to cats, and uh, as I was studying this week, my wife sent me a text, she's like, there, there's been a breakthrough when it comes to cat allergies. Apparently somebody thought that was worth funneling, like, research funds into, again, I don't fully understand, but this is amazing to me, uh, there is a cat allergy vaccine. Uh, a team of scientists from the Swiss firm Hypopet has developed a, a vaccine to combat the feline-produced protein FEL-D1, to which 10% of humans are allergic. The vaccine would help those with cat allergies avoid typical reactions, such as rashes, nasal congestion, and irritated eyes, while also lowering their risk of exacerbating asthma or uh, developing chronic respiratory issues. Interestingly... The breakthrough is a vaccine which is administered to the cat itself to aid in reducing the pr production of the allergen at the source. So if you love cats, that's a major breakthrough. You can uh, avoid the allergy. It's a breakthrough. A sudden or important development, an instance of success. So as we've been studying through this book of 1 John, one of the themes that has come up over and over and over again is the theme of love. And as we've been studying what John says, it feels like every time we turn back to the theme of love in this book, the bar gets higher and higher and higher, and I'm recognizing a growing gap. That man, to love like that Ugh, I'm not quite there yet. And maybe you've felt that way too. But John has some beautiful words because we want to experience a breakthrough in that love. We want to experience a sudden and complete success in the love that John describes. And so as we turn to the scripture, 1 John chapter 5, I want to give you this definition of breakthrough love. Breakthrough love is the deep, selfless, unshakable love that God exemplifies and commands. Not the shallow, transactional, 
temporary love that we're used to. So the question is, how do we get there? How do we get to break through love? Pray with me as we begin. Lord, we're so thankful for your word. Lord, I know that your Holy Spirit is present, that he is moving. I pray that you would illuminate our minds and eyes to the scripture today. Lord, help us to understand it, but not just understand it. Lord, help us to be transformed by it. That as we study and as we see, Lord, that that would seep into our hearts and that it would be true of us this week. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so as we open up to 1 John chapter 5, uh, I'm going to start by reading uh, verse 21 of chapter 4. It says this, And this commandment we also have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So it feels like John is you know, writing this to me because the first question I have after reading that is, okay, who's my brother? John picks it up in uh, chapter 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. So if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, you are a child of God. And all of those who believe that Jesus is the Christ are now children of God. And so every one of us, if we believe that Jesus is the Christ, is a brother and sister of one another. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Number one, breakthrough love is based on spiritual paternity, not earthly performance. Breakthrough love is based on spiritual paternity. John says this, that if you believe Jesus is Christ, you're a child of God. And if you love the Father, you love the children. See, the implication is that our love for one another is based on that paternity. It's based on who our Father is, not anything you and I have done. We are children of God. That's the foundation of our love for one another. That means it's totally independent of our own merits. What John is saying here is that there's, you know, for sure a love that we're supposed to have for everyone, but there is a special love that ought to be present among the children of God. You know, an example that we find of this in our culture, in our uh, lives in America, when there's some tragedy overseas, the uh, American media will report it as, you know, there were 46 people who were involved in this tragedy, seven of whom were Americans. Why does that matter to us? It matters to us because we have something in common with those people. It matters to us because we care about what happens to those who are Americans. John is saying that we have more in common as children of God than we will ever have in other ways. So it doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter whether you've come to church this morning and you have all of your stuff together. What matters is that you are a child of God. And as such, our commitment to one another, 
in love is as unchangeable and unshakable as the God who has redeemed us. See, this is it. The breakthrough in love comes when we shift from because they deserve it to because they are redeemed by Christ too. When we reset the reason for our love, we reset the who and the when. And the who of our love is every person who is a child of God. And the when is always. But that's really hard. Because way too often we fall into this trap that I'll love them when they love back. Or I'll love the people who are easy to love. I'll love the people who I like. I'll love the people who are like me. But when we love outside of any merit, when we love simply because they are a brother and sister in Christ, we are loving with that breakthrough love, that love that God exemplifies and commands. Now, can you imagine? Like, if this ran through a church like wildfire, what would the people of God be like? What would that community be like? If we loved one another regardless of merit, regardless of performance, regardless of background, if we loved everyone just because they're a child of God, what would that love look like? What would we as a community look like? There would be no cliques, no preferred people, no inner circle. There would be forgiveness everywhere. There would be no gossip. Why? Because we would love with the love that Christ exemplifies and commands. So we don't love others when they're lovable. We don't love others when they've earned it. We don't love others when it benefits us. We don't love others when they finally act like they're supposed to. Breakthrough love is loving others because of who their father is. We love each other because we love the Father. Loving the children is loving the Father. That's what John is saying. We love the Father when we love the children. It's impossible to separate the two. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So how will we know when we're loving? John answers that question in Chapter 5, verse 2, by this we know we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. Verse 2 says we know we're loving the children of God when we're loving God and keeping his commandments. For loving God means keeping his commandments. See, John is kind of giving us a little guidance. God, through John, is giving us a little guidance into what love is. You see it right there in verse 3? For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. So number two, breakthrough love, that love that is exemplified and commanded by Christ, that love that is deep and selfless and unshakable towards one another, that love is guided by God's word, not by worldly thinking. 
See, God has already determined what is loving and what is not. When God says we ought to love in his word, he's given us an example and a definition of that already. He's given us commandments that are loving. We don't get to decide what we think is loving. We don't get to determine what love is. I have four kids, uh, and uh, we, when we sit around the dinner table at home, there's, there's a kind of like a recurring argument that comes up, <laughs> and it's totally stupid. But the argument is that what are the primary colors? Like I said, it's totally stupid. Uh, so my kids will be like, yeah, the primary colors of red, yellow, and blue. And I'm like, no. Because it depends on whether you're talking about the primary colors of light or you're talking about the primary colors of pigment. If you're talking about additive or subtractive, like super nerd, I'll get into it. And uh, all I'm succeeding in doing is confusing my children. And then inevitably from like around the corner, wherever, my, my wife will go, just don't answer that way on the test. <laughs> Why would she say that? Because my kids have been instructed that they're is a specific way to answer the question, what are the primary colors? They are responsible for the truth and for answering as they have been taught. All I'm doing is messing them up. (laughs) That's the way it is with love. We are responsible to the one who has determined the truth about love. We don't get to decide what is loving and what is not. Breakthrough love is guided by God's word, not worldly thinking. And when we come up with our own definition, when we love in a way that feels loving, that seems loving, but is not founded in God's word, it's really a false love. So I just wanted to look at a few different false loves uh, that I think we see in culture. I think we see them in the church. And hopefully this is helpful as we start to look at what is the foundation of the love that we're commanded in God's word. The first here, false secular love, it's prevalent all throughout the world with your spouse, is this. I'll love as long as I feel it. Love is a feeling. Love is an emotion. Love is an affection that I have towards somebody. And when I've stopped feeling it, when I've stopped experiencing it, when you've stopped being the one who fulfills my needs, my affection, then I'm done. And it's everywhere. And it's seeped into the church in this way. The false Christian love is, I'll love as long as you're meeting my needs. His needs, her needs. I'll respect him when he sacrifices for me. I'll sacrifice for her when he respects me. And it's insidious, and it's everywhere. That is transactional love. Breakthrough love. The breakthrough love that God exemplifies and commands is this, sacrificially, no matter what. Ephesians 5, 21 through 33 instructs how husbands and wives ought to love one another. And if you read it, you'll see that there are no conditions. 
We ought to love each other sacrificially because that's the example of Jesus Christ. And that's the commandment. And it's good. When it comes to kids, the prevailing theory of love is let, let's just let them find their own way. I don't want to be too disciplinarian. I don't want to be too direct. I don't really even want to correct anything. I just want them to figure it out and find their own way. And my job is like as a guide for them to experience life. It's terrible. And it's unloving. The way that works itself out in the church is this. Just look good and behave. I'm going to be loving towards you as long as you make me look like a good parent at church. And if you don't, that ain't going to go well. But here's what we're supposed to love like. We're supposed to love by teaching disciplining and modeling the truth like it says in Deuteronomy as you are going instruct teach discipline correct but most importantly live it out in your life when you raise your kids like that that's loving we're not letting them find their own way we're explaining to them the way and showing it through our life and actions. Or with friends, it goes like this, as long as I like you. We're good. I'm loving you as long as I like you. But you better not do anything I don't like. Because otherwise, our love for one another is going to be on shaky ground. In the church, it's more like this, as long as you are like me. We tend to love others who think the same way we do, have the same background we do, will support our ideas and reinforce them. As long as you're like me. But breakthrough love, the love that God exemplifies and commands is this. There are, there are 47 biblical commands to love one another. I thought about listing them all out, but then like we'd be here until next Sunday and I didn't seem fair to you guys. So there's 47. That's a lot. But it's beautiful because half of them are about unity. They're about loving one another and being unified in Christ that we are together in this whole thing. A bunch more of them are about humility. Putting each other first. In fact, I did actually write out all 47, and I'll make sure that they get included on the uh, pulpit curriculum this weekend. C.S. Lewis summed it up like this. He said, love is not an affectionate feeling, but a steady wish for the loved person's ultimate good. Love isn't concerned about self at all. Love is sacrificial. Love is about what's best 
what's God's best for the person you're loving. See, the breakthrough in love comes when we follow God's design for love, not the ever-shifting trends. When we reset the manner of how we love, it brings fruit. And I believe this from the word, but I can also tell you when I experienced this, when I learned this, when it got through my thick skull for the very first time. So I've been married almost 14 years. Uh, I love to joke that we've been married 14 years and 11 of them have been great. And we've been on a really good streak. (laughs) The reality is uh, our marriage changed about three years in when I was finally discipled for the first time. And I remember the conversation that I had with my wife when I said, I'm going to love you well. When I made the decision that love wasn't an emotion, you know, we were kind of like past the honeymoon. We were starting to have a few kids. Things were getting more difficult. We didn't agree on everything anymore. My patience had run out. It was all my fault. I'll own it. But when I decided that I was going to love like God commands, that I was going to love well, that there was going to be a quality to my love, that I was going to love sacrificially. And believe me, I don't do it perfectly. But increasingly, that was the moment my marriage changed. When you change the manner of your love to what God's design is rather than what you feel, you will see fruit That's the breakthrough in love that we need. Now, as I was continuing to read this, uh, you know, verse 3 says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. This next part, now, I have to say, like, I fully believe that every word in Scripture is inspired and is true. But when I first read this next line, I was like, how can that be? I, uh, uh. Because it says this, verse 3, and his commandments are not burdensome. That means it's not difficult to do what God has commanded. That's hard to hear. Because there's so much of my life that's like, well, it's kind of hard to obey that. Here's why I think that is. God's commandments seem burdensome when we've bought a lie. God commandments seem burdensome when I've come to the conclusion that what's best for me is not what God's command is. God's commandments seem burdensome when I've bought the lie that the world's way is better, that it's preferable, that it's going to lead to more of what I want. So when I bought the lie, when I believe that my marriage should be over because I don't feel it anymore, it becomes incredibly difficult to sacrifice for your spouse. So when I look at the command to love anyway, that seems super difficult because I've bought the lie. Or when I believe that I need the approval of other people, it becomes really difficult to have truth-filled conversations. Because I don't want to step on any toes. I don't want them to think any worse of me. i got to make sure that I'm maintaining 
their opinion of me. And so why would I challenge anything that they're doing? Better yet, what I'm going to do is I'm going to gossip about somebody else so that they'll think I'm even better. And it becomes really difficult to have conversations that are filled with truth. And it becomes really difficult to stop gossiping because I've believed the lie that I need someone else's approval. But when we finally get that the world's way isn't the right way, when we finally get that this love, this foundation of our relationship can be founded in God's word, not only are they unburdensome, they become delightful. Now, some of us feel like we've reached this point before. Yeah, 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 I know. I know all that. But it's still really, really difficult. Then John has some incredibly good news that comes right here at the top of verse 4. How do you overcome the lie of the world? Verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. See, breakthrough love comes through faith in Jesus Christ, not personal effort. Everyone who has been born of God. And remember, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, you have been born of God. So if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, then you have overcome the world. See, it's, being, it is, it, it's the being born of God that is the foundation for the overcoming, not our trying harder. Without being born of God, we have no ability to overcome. Nothing. We're stuck. We literally do not have the tools to love in the way that God commanded so about a year ago, I made the really stupid decision of uh, remodeling my kitchen in Chicago. Stupid for a number of reasons. Um, one was the house was in the 50s, and uh, I, I tried to like cut into a wall. I was going to open up a wall, and then I realized that's not drywall. <laughs> drywall is like super thin. It's like easy if I punched it really hard. Well, probably break my hand because I'm little, but like... Some of you who are stronger could like put your fist through a drywall, right? This is not drywall. That's called rock lathe. In fact, it was such a terrible product. They only made it for like 10 years. And what that is, is essentially that's like a paper backing with then a, uh, like a metal grid. And then there's like a quarter of an inch of essentially concrete. And then there's like plaster on top. So when I tried to cut into the wall, the first thing I did was I got out my sawzall, you know? <laughs> And I had this carbide tip blade, and I'm like, man, this thing's going to cut like butter. <laughs> so I stick it in there, and I start going. And I'm like, you know. <laughs> this wall literally turned my saw blade into a butter knife. <laughs> I get about six inches in, and then I'm like not going any further. And I'm trying to push it through. I'm doing everything I got, and it's just stuck. And I pull it out, and it is flat as can be. 
apparently the tools I have aren't good enough for that job. It wasn't until I had a friend come over who had bigger tools. He had a grinder. And so we had to tape up plastic all around the kitchen. And I've, I'm still apologizing, apologizing to my wife for the amount of dust that was created. I mean, it was, it was a thing of beauty. Like just sparks flying, dust everywhere. And man, I tell you what, he cut through that wall. No matter how hard I tried. I just didn't have the tools. No amount of effort, no juicing up the voltage was going to change the fact that my saw is not cutting through that wall. That's the exact same way it is with our love. In ourselves, we don't have the tools. It doesn't matter how hard we try. It's not going to work. And what happens is we try and we try and we try and we try again and we fail and we fail and we fail and we fail again. And at some point, we get so discouraged that we think there's no possible way I could ever love like that. And the problem isn't that we could never love like that. The problem is that we've been trying in our own strength. And what John is saying is your own strength isn't good enough. Because he says this in verse 5, who is it that overcomes the world? Except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. The only path, the only way, the only strength to love in the way that God commands is through Jesus Christ. The breakthrough of love is this. Followers of Christ are, by nature, overcomers. We have overcome and continue to overcome only, only because of Christ. And this is the victory, verse 4, that overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. That's not faith like religious activity. That's not faith like I believe a set of things that are the right things, and so it's okay. That's not faith like I come to church on Sundays, and as long as I like it. I keep coming. That's not the faith that John is talking about. This is not a bland, dead system of beliefs. This is a living, breathing, daily faith that Jesus is the Christ. A faith that makes us more like Christ. A faith that transforms You know, like I said, I've been here a few months now, four, four, five months, give or take, I've lost count. And one of the things I've noticed about faith and Christianity on the south side of Indianapolis is that there is a ton of information. There's a ton of knowledge. But another thing that I've noticed is that there isn't a ton of transformative faith. 
I think one of the things we struggle with is taking that faith from my head to my heart. Of going beyond church on Sunday and making this a faith that is central to my life. But that's the only faith that matters. See, it's this faith in Christ through his victory, through our renewed relationship with him, through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, that's the only way we're ever going to break through. That is the path that God has laid out. And when we reset the source of our love to Jesus Christ, we finally gain the power to love. Trying harder never, ever works. So we get to that place where that's just how I am, that's just how I was raised. We will always struggle. I could never love like that. That's too much. I can never change. It will always be like that. But it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be because in Christ, we are not hopeless. In Christ, we are not helpless. In Christ, we have overcome. In Christ, we can have breakthrough. But I realize that for so many of us today, we don't feel like that's true. So many of us today are not experiencing the victory that faith in Christ allows. We've got broken friendships, struggling marriages. That'll never change. It's been forever. It's nothing different this time. Hearts filled with despair or fear, or anxiety, or grief. When I say that in Christ we are not helpless and we are not hopeless, it comes from the Word, but it's been confirmed in my life. See, when I was 22, My dad went out for a run on the 4th of July. 50 years old, no history of heart disease, non-smoker, vegetarian, exercised regularly. Have a really small family. I have three cousins, which is like fewer than I have kids. On that day, July 4th, he went out for a run. Afterwards, he laid down in the grass. He passed away of a massive heart attack. A year after that, my grandmother passed away of T-cell lymphoma. 
Year after that, my grandfather was killed in a car accident. Year and a half after that, my uncle committed suicide. Two months after that, my other grandfather passed away of liver disease. A year and a half after that, my wife and I had a miscarriage. I remember one night I was crying in the closet and I looked at my wife and I said, I feel like every time I love something, God takes it away. That's a dark night of the soul. But I can tell you from his word and from experience that we are not helpless and we are not hopeless. In Christ, we have overcome. In Christ, you can have breakthrough. And so this morning, we're going to celebrate that truth. We're going to respond to that truth. We're going to take this place, this middle school, which is half auditorium, half cafeteria. And we're going to make this a sacred space. A space where we respond to truth from God's word. And so as we sing, the altar is open. If you need breakthrough in your life, if there's something that you can look at and say, I wish this wasn't so, then this is your opportunity to come forward. To kneel, to pray, to cry, to beg the Lord for breakthrough because in Christ you can experience it so you can stand now and as we sing come forward don't delay don't worry about what others are thinking just get on your knees and beg God for breakthrough